Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to A Word with Tom Merritt. I'm Tom Merritt, and I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to talk with people about how we think, because there's way more information than any of us could possibly wrap our heads around. So we have to take shortcuts. We have to figure out how to choose what information we pay attention to. Uh, and I would have these kinds of conversations growing up with my grandpa Carl in his front room talking about the news of the day with my grandma Roxy in her front room just talking about life. And I got lots of different ways of looking at the world, great conversations, and it all was leading up to this moment right now. Welcome into the front room, Cass Caw. Hi, happy to be here. Uh, Cass, you are, uh, um, you're many things, but among the many things you are is an author of horror stories, right? That is correct. Uh, we're going to talk with Cass about the word scare, uh, you know, because it's also October when we're recording this. So it's the season uh, to talk about scare. Uh, let, let's start with what what scares you. What is what when you think of the word scare? What do you think of? Right off the top of my head, um, I just had an interview very recently where they asked the same question. And the thing that terrifies me more than anything else right now is, and we're going to go dark straight up. All right. All right. It's just the thought of the Amazon burning. Um, I grew up in Malaysia where for as long as I can remember, there were tropical rainforests wherever I could look. Everywhere you glance, you see the green hills. And as a kid, I took comfort in the idea that eventually humanity and all our issues and all our vanity would slowly be subsumed by the green again and everything would be peaceful everything would be quiet i was a very macabre child i don't know why that brought me comfort but it did but as an adult seeing news of the amazon burning it struck me very deeply because if the rainforest of home were something sacred to me, the Amazon, I guess on some level, was almost godlike, a thing that should have been safe from us, a thing that we should have been, never been able to ruin in that way, and yet we had it burning. And that terrifies me and all of the other little things about climate change, including the fact that rainwater is no longer safe to drink. There's something about that that is the the overwhelmingness of it, uh, the lack of immediate control, right? Where where it's it's something that you, <laughs> I think we all wish we could, but you you can't go put out that fire, right? It's that that is part of the the frightening aspect of it. It seems like it is um, definitely so. It's a weird kind of cosmic horror. I feel. Given that so much of cosmic horror deals with the idea of being very small and very hopeless mm -hmm. in the face of 
I wouldn't say cruel things. Cosmic horror does not necessarily revolve around evil. Just powers far beyond our control. Do you when you so when you think of scare? Do you think of larger things, more cosmic things like that, rather than you know jump scares and ghouls and goblins and that? Um. Yes and no. When I think of the word scare, I think of stuff like that, definitely. Um, but I also think of things that are a lot more intimate. So for about 10 years of my life, I was nomadic. I was in a different country. Every three months, I never stopped traveling. And that was my whole life for a decade. And one of the things that struck me about that is how utterly unsafe we are. It's easy to think that the world is fine and structured and nothing wrong will ever happen to you if you're always located in a single place. That's what I found out when I was living in Montreal for three years. But the reality is every sound that you hear in a neighboring home, every scratch on the door, it could be something else. It could be someone trying to break in. It could be something worse. We're just kind of weirdly conditioned to believe that it's not that bad. There is no such thing as something crawling over there. There is no satanic ritual happening, things like that. But also, oh, sorry, I'm just going to finish that thought. On an even more intimate scale than that, what scares me as well is the human body. Um, similar principles here. We go through life believing that we're one cohesive whole. We don't really think about the fact that we are essentially tiny insistent wads of fat and electrical impulses, very hopefully moving our limbs around and under our skin, under our bones, any number of things might be happening. There may be parasites slowly seeping and trying to break through the intestinal wall. There may be tumors growing. We just don't know. And unless a doctor finds out, we will never know. And that scares me too. It is the uncertain that often scares people. Uh, I I don't know if if I if I would would say I had a nomadic situation like you were describing, but I, I don't remember exactly what the number is. But for for a good ten fifteen years of my life, I I didn't live more than three months on average in any given place. And when you're doing that, I know even with that amount of stability, which which may be more than what you're what you're talking about. Every new place was getting used to what's there. You you didn't know what the noises meant. You didn't know what what was normal and what wasn't, and what you needed to pay attention to and be afraid of, and what you shouldn't. Uh, so, so I, I I I get that uncertainty. And what you're describing about with the human body is the same thing. I can't see it, uh, and 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 literally not just i can't see it cuz it's under my skin but like it's too small to see uh it, it's it's uncertainty and maybe it's fine there are some parasites that ben- that are beneficial but not all of them and so if you don't know i i, I guess that's what i'm i'm circling around to is it's the unknown it's it's the uncertain and the unknown that i feel like is is very scary yeah i completely agree with that um, if you kind of dissect all of the various spheres that we have, it all ties to that ultimately, just that lack of knowing, which is kind of interesting. Do you like being scared? Oh, that's an interesting question. Do I like being scared? 
Yes, actually. Um, especially how adrenaline and endorphin kind of entwine sometimes. And I believe really strongly in the idea of neuroplasticity. I would rather be scared than be bored because there's nothing worse to me than looking back at my life and going, wow, where, where did those years go? Um, and that actually randomly is to add on to that first question is something that scared me as well. For 10 years of my life, I traveled, I tried new things, I got into trouble, I got out of trouble. And I felt those 10 years. I felt them strongly every single month, every single week of it. But when I moved to Montreal and I settled down for a while, it shocked me. The first year vanished. I had no idea what had happened. Chunks of time had just blurred into the same routines and that horrified me. So yeah, in a weird way, I kind of like being scared because the alternative is just losing myself. Yeah, I I think a lot of people enjoy certain types of being scared uh, there because of the adrenaline rush. Uh, I, I, do you think there are different flavors of being scared, so to speak? Um, yes, there are definitely different flavors of being scared. Um, I personally cannot deal with jump scares. They're quick, they're cheap, they don't cause any lasting traumatic effects, but oh my god, I cannot deal with them. Even, even if somebody tells me to the very second a jump scare is coming, I will still leap over the back of a couch and fall over. Don't like those. Um, and then if we're talking about varieties of scares, you have that, and then you have deep existential dread, and that's a different flavor entirely. Something that just crawls under the skin and just stays there, just quiet, almost marine-like. Is that your least favorite kind of scare? Actually, no. I I, I really cannot deal with jump scares. The rest of it, it's jump fine. scares are the worst. Okay, I got it. <laughs> uh, I I feel like um. My least favorite kind of scare, although I also don't love the jump scare because I, I agree with you, it feels kind of cheap uh, and it will still get me sometimes if I know it's coming and you're like, well, what was that for? Uh, I my The first horror movie that made me realize I did not like horror movies was The Shining because it was the first movie where I was realizing that it, scare could be a slow burn not not necessarily all about you know Freddy jumping out of a a closet or something, uh, but the the scare I like the least is anxiety, which I don't know. Do you count that as scare? I absolutely count that as a kind of scare. Um, anxiety has a way of building into that spiral, like just this whirlpool, and you're dragged under, and all you can think about is that one thing you're fixated on. Yeah, that's ex- definitely a terror. I have a anxiety disorder and so it's my least favorite because when I come, I know it's not real. It's, it's what I've learned uh, to deal with. I'm like, Oh, and it was only a couple of days ago that I had a very small uh, panic attack and I've gotten to the point where I'm annoyed by them. Uh, I'm not even scared by them anymore. It's more like, Oh, okay. This is what my body decided to do today. And now I have to deal with it and keep reminding myself that, that I shouldn't let my thoughts attach to it uh, because it is just the fear. There's in this case, not a real cause of it or, or not a cause that I can do anything about. 
Um, I really empathize with that. Um, I'm actually a severe hypochondriac. And a few years ago, my brain latched onto the idea that I had a certain variety of, sorry, conjunctival cancer, something that rarely affects people of my age, coloration, and ethnicity. And I remember it got to a point where my brain would quietly insist on unfocusing my eyes, you know, just to accentuate the idea that something was happening. And I, I'm the same as you when it gets that bad. I'm, I'm just annoyed. <laughs> I feel the fear. I feel the anxiety. But in the back of my head, I'm like, you know, you're just doing it to yourself. Like, there is no point to this. But you just kind of still have to write it out. And that is the most irritating thing in the world. So I'm really sorry here. Maybe you have a similar flavor of that. Yeah, likewise. Uh, it's, it's no fun. Uh, especially like you said, like you, you have to, t- rem- you have to remind yourself that you just have to write it out. And sometimes you're like, is it over? <laughs> Am I done with this one yet? Like, uh, I, I think. It's an example of an unproductive scare. I think what you were talking about earlier were productive scares, scares that that challenged you and made things memorable and and that sort of thing. Do you think there are there are good and bad scares? Yes, absolutely. Uh, let me take a moment to put my thoughts together on that. Jump scares are definitely unproductive scares, as we've discussed. They're just terrible. They're there to make you go ah, and look very undignified in front of your friends. <laughs> Productive scares, um, God, they challenge you, they push you. And there is, I think, this exhilaration, this sense of accomplishment, if you can just kind of nudge yourself over the last hurdle and throw yourself into a thing. Kind of like going dancing for the first time in public or singing in front of a crowd, that build up, that horror, that gasping anxiety, and then you push through and it oh I at least to me it almost feels like pressing through a membrane and coming out the other side and that rush the way that excitement cements and that sense of triumph. Yeah. There's definitely productive scares out there. Do you do you have an example of the most productive scare <laughs> you ever worked through? Um uh, yes, actually. Um so Before I did all the writing thing, I was, I'm also a trained dancer. Um, I ballroom Latin, I did belly dancing, I did popping, and I did that for about seven or eight years, I believe, before I ended up in New York for the first time. That was also where I ran out of money because Malaysian currency, it does not go far in New York. And because I was very young and I did not have enough disciplines. I ended up dancing on the streets for money. Um, I, I went busking. And I remember that very first moment when a friend was like, all right, you're up. Just go dance in front of that crowd of commuters. And I was like, holy crap. This is the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my life. And I hung off a helipad just for fun. And I went out there and I started to dance. I took in those eyes. I took in the crowd. And I think that was the last time I was ever afraid of performing. And I was ever afraid of putting myself out there. Because once you've walked into a crowd of hundreds, not knowing how to react completely spontaneously, nothing else feels quite as bad. 
there are scares like that that you can eliminate. There are fears like that that you can you can conquer. Uh, did you did you find yourself looking for others at any point to be like, well, I I got rid of that one. Let me get rid of another one. Absolutely. Um, I did a public speaking circuit for a few years just to see if I could do it. Um, sadly, I discovered I still hate public speaking, but I'm absolutely great at. Um, and one more that I'm currently navigating relates to what I said earlier. Um, like I have mentioned, I am a hypochondriac. Um, sometimes it's severe to the point of being absolutely crippling. The whole I can't get out of bed because I'm so afraid of my own body kind of thing. So I'm currently working with myself to deal with it by going to the doctor for small ailments that I know are absolutely going to be things in my head. Um, just little checkups. Little things here and there. Just kind of to build up my confidence. It's starting to work. Not quite there yet, but one day. Well, good. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's starting to work. And I, I wish you the best in, in overcoming that. I know those those sorts of things, they're slippery. You know, they're, they're, they're hard to, to get hold of and therefore harder to work through. Thank you so much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I think that being scared was important to me at one point. I, I, I went through through different phases in my life. When I was really young, I didn't want to be scared. Uh, I, I think that's important pretty, pretty natural, uh, especially when you're, you know, in your single digits. Uh, and then I got to a point when I decided I wanted to do scary things. And it was after I had had experiences where, you know, I moved to a place, I, I lived in the same house I was born in for the first 18 years of my life. And then I moved away and it was, that was terrifying because I'd never lived anywhere else. But once I realized I could do it, I, I started to want to do scarier things do and and this I I don't want to use the word addiction because it has so many negative connotations. But do you think scary becoming scared becomes a habit? Do, do you think it becomes a thing that that people obviously there are adrenaline junkies and all of that sort of thing. But what do you what do you think of that idea of of the scare as being something that is almost a hobby? I could absolutely see that. Um, I don't think I'm one of those people personally, but there's. Definitely something compelling about chasing the next thing that you're afraid of, trying to conquer it. Especially um, if you're the kind of person who believes that this is just the only life that we get. Because at the end of the day, when you're in your deathbed, what do you want? Do you want to say that you have met every challenge head on or that you have run away from it? And that thought, I think, drives people. I know it drives me in a different way. Uh, I, 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 I wonder sometimes if, uh, if being scared also helps people work through something. I know you're writing horror. Uh, what is it about horror that drew you to write that 
partic- those particular kinds of stories? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, horror is in a weird way a sanctuary. It is a safe place. It is where you navigate the metaphors of your life, so to speak, excuse me for sounding a little bit pretentious there. In every piece of horror media, there's something that is universally resonant. And going through a horror game, reading a horror book, or watching a horror movie, you get to place yourself in the face of that truth, that universal terror, and be assured that you can walk out the other side. So there's something really cathartic about that, I think. And what drives me to write it in a weird way is I want to offer that space to other people. I want people to be able to venture into my books, explore the same traumas, the same terrors, because, you know, there's a lot of overlap for the human species. And know that you'll be safe coming out the other side. That's really interesting. I had never thought of horror as a sort of an armor. You know, uh, as as something that that you can you can wear and know you'll you'll come out safe the other side. I love that. Kind of like running around in a simulation, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I I mean, I guess that's true. That that is the appeal to to any any game that that we play is that it's a game, right? And the consequences are are limited, and we know what they are. Uh huh. Do you uh? What do you, okay, so my wife uh, doesn't like scary movies. She doesn't like horror, she says. But we often end up going to see them. <laughs> we, uh, we, we often end up at the haunted house that she said she absolutely didn't uh, want to go to. Um, I don't think it's because there's pressure not to like scary things. In fact, quite the opposite these days. Halloween seems to start earlier and earlier every year. Uh, Do do you think there's something about denying that you want to be scared that makes the being scared more enjoyable? I mean, absolutely. That is applicable to everything. Nothing is more tempting than that little pint of ice cream in your freezer when you're like, I am not eating sugar for two weeks. Oh, and it becomes the most tantalizing, precious thing. And it just consumes you with desire. And I think that's applicable here as well in a slightly different way. And I think there's also, I, I, I wonder, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. There might be maybe a little element of human perversion here. We're always curious about the things we say we we don't want to do. Otherwise, we would do them. Yeah, I I think – I wonder if that's entwined in what makes being scared uh, appealing to people, which is the the forbidden fruit aspect of it, right? Um, Yeah, I think so. Although that is just a fascinating way of phrasing it. Fear is the forbidden fruit. I think it's completely true. We are, I think, as a species, just built to avoid fear. It is how we run our lives. We touch fire for the first time. We jolt away and we go, oh, we're never going to do that again. But, wow. Sorry, I'm just struck by that thought. Yeah, there is something genuinely compelling about it. 
Yeah, I had never thought about that uh, before until, until you were talking about it. So uh, you you kind of uh, put that in my in my head. I I wonder if there's something. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's any other examples of like something primal like fear, where we have fear, like you said, to learn. Uh, to avoid a threat, right? We're afraid of the tiger in the grass because that'll make sure that we run away and don't get eaten by the tiger. Um, are there other emotions or other feelings that are similar to that where we repurpose them? Lust, I think. Uh, we are a perverted, perverted species, especially if you look at the huge breath of kings that exists out there. And I think there's a similar draw there. Although I think with sex and lust, it's less about the biological safety and more societal upbringing. Um, I think a lot of the world is very much affected by how Christianity swept across the globe and you know what that teaches so with kink or fetish you look at those barriers you look at what you're told and you're going like wait a second what if i did this or that and in a similar way i think um kink allows you to explore trauma the bad things that happen to you it allows you to enter a space that might have felt unsafe before and examine your feelings examine the depth of your fears or your wants knowing that if you are in a good environment with a good partner or partners you'll come out there the other side completely safe because you negotiated it, you made sure it was consensual, and somebody said, yes, these are all the parameters, this is what we'll do if you feel uncomfortable, if you need to stop, etc., etc. Yeah, there's there's the, this, that armor aspect of it uh, as well. And I think there's a continuum between being scared and lust, uh, certainly, and, and, and other emotions. Yeah, I completely agree with that as well. Uh, I think we could even extend that um, idea perhaps to, I don't know, rage, um, going into a ring, fighting, picking up boxing, picking up martial art. For some people, it's one thing to learn self-defense. For others, it's the love of the field and the art. And then, like, with my cousin, I know it's just therapy. He he is a boxer because at the end of a long day at work, all he wants to do is beat up a bag. Well, that, that's what everyone says, right? You take out your frustrations uh, in in that way, in lots of different ways. But that is one example, one way. It is. Um, it was absolutely true for me as well. Um, when I found out my dad had died by suicide, the first thing I did was look at my mother and go, so tomorrow we are going to therapy. And she was like, what? I'm like, I cannot deal with this alone. We need a professional to assist me with this. So off we went to therapy. I got set up on that, came home. And I was still this boiling cauldron of pain and anger and disappointment and all those things that kind of shows up when you find out news like that. So the next thing I did was sign up for personal tra uh, training. I had done kickboxing for a few years before that, but 
I wanted something else. I wanted to be competitive because I knew it would put my body through a lot. It would demand a lot of from me. And I would have an outlet for everything I was feeling. And that led to doing like four or five hours at the gym every day for about a year. I have a distinct memory of at one point, I was like, I could probably do a fifth class. And my trainer, who is six feet tall, and I am not six feet, I'm about five, four, and I look like a chipmunk if you've not seen my pictures before, walked over to me as I tried to go to the class, picked me up by the waist and just calmly walked to the door, pushed me out, hold the door closed behind him as I stared at him in just complete confusion. He went, go home. <laughs> um, yes. So definitely punching things is it's good. Well, I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through something like that. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm impressed by your immediate reaction, which I think more people should feel comfortable having, which is we need to go to therapy Um and also, I'm, I'm thankful that you had an instructor that was able to help you put the limits there. He, he was a great guy. He knew exactly what I was going for, how much I needed to distract myself. Although to this day, I still don't think he <laughs> really should have just kicked me around as much as he did. Every time I got too tired, to fell over on the floor. His, his way of testing um, whether I had enough was to just kick me in the ribs a few times to see if I would bounce back on my feet and start chasing him. If I just laid there groaning, going, let me die, he'd let me rest. That does seem extreme. Yeah, I did ask for extreme, so <laughs> can't blame it. Nonetheless. Uh, do you think it is ever bad to not be scared? Um, yes, as somebody who has come out several near brushes with death or horrible bodily harm, there are days when you should let your fear speak for you. You mentioned dangling off of a helipad earlier. That Was that an example of that? Oh, um, no. But the first time I decided to... um do the whole traveling thing. I was about 25 and desperate to make my name known in the video game industry. Um, I'd written an article that no one had read. And I, I got I got into my head that the best way to convince people to read my articles or to pay attention to me was to go to all the game conventions in the West. Surely that was the first thing I had to do. So I took my life savings and... I flew to San Francisco to crash on the couch of a friend who had met through World of Warcraft. I'd never seen his picture before. Obviously, everything is fine. We're having this um, conversation right now, but I'm very aware in a very different timeline. I'm dead. So that is probably a good example of when I should have probably let fear take, take over. I just got lucky. Right. So in other words, the, the story may have turned out all right, uh, but it wasn't guaranteed to have turned out all right. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, yeah. That said, I have made some very good friends through World of Warcraft. It's, you know, there's there's a way to negotiate that, that process, right? <laughs> there is. Um, and he was lovely. And every again, everything obviously turned out all right, but just 
go to the back of my head. I'm like, mm. when, when, when I moved from Austin to San Francisco, uh, I ended up staying with two people along the way as, as I made my way out. Uh, cause I drove all my, I packed all, all my stuff in a U-Haul, rented it and then drove out. Actually it was a rider truck. Not that that matters. Um, and I, I, I stayed with two people that I had only met on the internet. This was even before World of Warcraft. These are just people that I had met, you know, on forums, on message boards. Uh, so, yeah, I probably shouldn't have done that either. Uh, one of them in Tucson made me sleep locked on her porch because she was smarter than I was and was like, well, I don't know you, you know, I'm willing to give you a place to sleep. And I was like, yeah, I totally understand. And thankfully she, you know, was, was, was great. And and we got to have a nice breakfast the next morning and, and chat about all the things that we chatted about on the message board in real life. And it turned out great, but you're, but yeah, uh, she, she didn't know that I wasn't going to do something crazy and i didn't thankfully for for both of us but but yeah uh there there was a situation where she was a little scared and it wasn't necessary but maybe wise fear keeps us safe it's not always mm-hmm. what gives us the best result but it is there to keep us safe well i always like to finish these conversations uh with a little word game would you would you like to play along Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's called This or That. I'll just give you two things and you tell me which one you'd pick and why. Mm, Go for it. I'm nervous. All right. Uh, The first one is physical books or digital books? Um, Digital books, definitely, hands down. While I do appreciate the smell and the feel of a physical book, I was a nomad for 10 years and... I'm also an avid reader. I am absolutely voracious in my reading, in fact. And for the first few years, it was just me lugging around far too many pounds of paperbacks. Like, oh, God, how am I going to survive this? I have to walk how many miles to get to my new place? So when Kindles became a thing and they were affordable enough for me, I grabbed them and just never looked back. I can probably afford to have a physical library now, but... Oh, habits die hard. I actually prefer reading digital books, and I end up buying physical books when I like a book so much that I just want to have the representation of it uh, now. But but I'm with you. I much prefer having a digital book to carry around for exactly those reasons. It's nice to have a literal library that you can tuck away in your coat. Although I actually do the same with the physical books thing, especially if they're like cool special editions. Fast or slow zombies? Fast zombies, I just want to get it over with. Slow zombies, I know they're going to get me eventually. I I don't know when, I don't know how, but it's going to happen because eventually they're going to overrun humanity. We're not bright enough to stop a zombie apocalypse. I love this question because I asked it, I think I've asked it to everyone I've played this game with, uh, and every answer is different. I I thought I would have to remove this question at some point because, you know, well, how many times could someone answer it? And and I always get a different answer. I've never heard that answer before. Awesome. (laughs) Uh, 
Oddities flea market or punk flea market? Definitely punk flea market, despite the fact I, again, look like a chipmunk. I am very much a goth punk at heart. Have you been to a punk flea market? Not yet. And that's the other reason I chose to answer. I am definitely looking forward to finding my first one somewhere in New York City. Yeah, I think I found I was looking when I was looking up these questions. I think I found one in Long Island. So it's, it's so know, far. Somewhat, down. Somewhat I know. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Ragnarok or Armageddon? Ragnarok, hands down, giant wolf. Serpents out of control, Val- Valkyries in the sky, epic fights, frost giants. Oh my god, it just seems eh in comparison. Yeah, what's not to love about a good Ragnarok? Savory or dessert crepes? Oh, you're really throwing the tough ones at me now. Savory or dessert crepes? Dessert crepes by a very slim margin because one of my favorite things in the world is the like lemon zest and sugar crepes they can get in Paris where they do it just right and the acidity and the sugar blend mm. perfectly. Now I'm hungry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> Dreams or nightmares? Hmm. That one's interesting. My first instinct would be dreams, but at the same time, I've had night terrors for as long as I could remember. And I do mean for as long as I could remember. Um, as a child, I had a habit of waking up mid-run as I was trying to escape something in my nightmares. But I started getting used to them, I think, around my teens. And I have this distinct memory of being stuck in a nightmare. And velociraptors were chasing me and my friends through this weird little village. And we were all fleeing. There was blood everywhere. There was gore. There was screaming. And for some reason, my dream self found itself going into a hut and just finding ammunition and guns everywhere. And I distinctly remember going... I can be scared of my nightmares forever, or I can deal with it. And I literally came out at hut in my nightmare, guns blazing. And till today, I still have night terrors, but I'm dealing with them. And choosing dreams feels like letting them win. You know, now that you've, you've explained that, I 100% agree with you. It, is it feel like a kind of lucid dreaming? A little bit. I, uh-huh. Yeah, I guess it's a kind of lucid dream. Oh, huh. it is. I never thought of about it that way. I think I know the answer to this one, but I've been surprised before. So I'm going to ask it anyway. Dogs or cats? Cats. I have two absolutely enormous mean coons due to strange circumstances, and I love them. Absolutely. Before we started recording, uh, uh, because it's getting chilly in the autumn, uh, Cass was telling me uh, cre- you were creating a, a, a blanket fort for the cats, right? Uh-huh. They were just kind of curled up on the couch, fur-poofed up, tiny, sad-looking fur balls. So I assembled blankets and cushions and just kind of wrapped them all 
And I just leaned over to look at them, and they're still tucked into their weird little sofa bed. I'm a little jealous of the cats right now. They look really comfy, I have to say. I know. Sometimes I wish I was that small to be able to enjoy the world that way. Tea or coffee? Ooh. I can only choose one or the other. You could go for both. There's no rules. Let me think about it. Hmm. You could put the tea in the coffee. Monster. Why would you? <laughs> uh, coffee. Um, while I like how many varieties of teas there are, and I am also a very, very heavy tea drinker, there is nothing like that first cup of coffee, um, especially when someone else makes it and hands it over and you're stumbling over and you take that first bitter sip and sit down take in the fumes, and just get ready for the day. I have to say that American drip coffee, the classic drip coffee, is really the only thing I miss when I when I travel away from the U.S. Uh, I, I usually immerse myself in everything else about wherever I am, their food, their culture, uh, but I do always miss the coffee. Same here. There's just some special quality to it. I don't know what it is. And I actually really enjoy diner coffee, although a lot of people are like, that's trash. I love diner coffee. It's good. Some of the, I think I may have even mentioned it on the show before, but the, one of the best cups of coffee I ever had was at like this cheap diner in the middle of a national park in Texas one time, you know, and it was probably even instant. I don't even know, but it was just really good. Sometimes the world surprises you in that way. All right. Last one. Hot or cold? Oh, uh, this one's interesting. So if you asked me that question about 15 years ago, I would say hot because I, I grew up in Malaysia. I'm really used to the tropical heat. But after three years in Quebec, anything Above 67 Fahrenheit makes me want to claw out of my skin. So definitely cold. So Quebec readjusted your internal thermometer? Pretty much. Um, we regularly had temperatures of negative 40 Fahrenheit. Yeah, that, that, that'll do it. Right? <laughs> well, Cass, thank you so much. Uh, for, for talking, for opening up, uh, so much and, 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 and sharing so much with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for so much for having me on this show. I love your questions. They really made me think a lot. Oh, thanks. I'm, I'm glad. Uh, I know you have lots of projects, uh, lots of books. Uh, this will be out within, you know, uh, it won't be out immediately after we record. So I don't know if you've got something coming up or if your short stories are, are the most recent thing, but let me just leave it to you. What do you want to tell folks about as far as your writing or anything? Um, I have my debut collection coming out through Undertale Publications. Um, uh, in November, actually. Gosh, that's so close. If you've ever read my short stories and wanted them in one nice little package, um, consider pre-ordering or ordering, depending on when you hear it. And next year, my mermaid novella comes out in May. It is the story of an immortal carnivorous mermaid and a strange doctor who find himself in the deep woods 
confronted with three surgeons in a village of feral, immortal children. Um, it's going to be very bloody. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I am ready for that. I am very excited uh, for that. I will be. I will be looking out for that. I, I'm a big fan of the mermaid, uh, the 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 real mermaid stories, not the not the happy singing mermaid. Those are fine. I'm not going to you know yuck your yum if that's your thing. But I, I've gotten to know some of the more traditional, like dangerous mermaid stories. I, I'm, I, I, I can't wait to, to read yours. That sounds amazing. My mermaids are always hungry. Uh, so the, the collection is called breakable things, right? That's right. Uh, so it, if it's, uh, if it's past November, go buy it. And uh, if it's not out yet, pre-order it. Uh, thanks to our producers, Jen Cutter and Anthony Lamos. Thank you for listening to this show and telling your friends about it. You can get an ad-free version of this show with Acast Plus. Click on access exclusive content at awordpodcast.com and we'll have a word with you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.